Hello and welcome to the UBA Extra Salt podcast. This podcast is an exploration of the speech and language therapy profession, offering extracurricular topics with extra special guests, hoping to create intrigue around the possibilities of the profession. In truly professionally reflective style, all of our guests submit their three proudest achievements and three biggest difficulties to discuss so that we can learn from their journey. Season one shines a light on the less well-known clinical areas, and I'm proud to say that my extra special guest today is Sarah Walt. Sarah started her SLT journey as a mature student with a family, having previously worked in hotel management. Since graduating, Sarah stayed in the same paediatric team, moving from mainstream preschool community to her passion, which, despite having limited love for it during her university programme, is most definitely school-age complex needs. Of CPD, Sarah says, every day I learn something new and as an individual, I have to work hard to keep up. <laughs> Sarah, thank you for being here with me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and how does the, um, the plate spinning of your clinical life compare to your ho- hotel management? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's much busier. <laughs> I have a lot more plates to spin in this role. Um, I suppose also because I didn't have a family when I was in hotel management either, so I have that to spin as well. But um, yeah, I'm kept very busy. Um, there's always always something that needs checking in on, and um, if it's not on my to-do list, it um, won't get done. So it has to be on my list. I have to be really organised. Um, that helps me keep everything going. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, it's 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 a role that you just don't get to sit still in at all and and um but that's that's what i love about it do you think you're a naturally organized person um i think i am naturally organized and i don't realize it but i think i am a bit fastidious about things and it's usually when other people point it out and and they tell me i'm organized and i think really am i (laughs) so apparently i am um but i don't um my home life, I'm not as organised, actually. I think that's since, though, working. Um, um, I'm very lucky I have a supportive family, so they help me stay organised. But, no, yeah, I think I am quite organised. And when I, I, I remember when I first started, um, I really, it, it, it was a journey for me to work out how to be best organised. Mm. And I had all these different systems that I was dipping in and out of. I was looking what other people were doing. Um, yeah, I literally... I, I remember starting, I had post-it notes everywhere in my diary (laughs) and it was when I'd done something, I took the post-it notes off, but then I realised that the quality of post-it notes aren't that great. Um, (laughs) So occasionally something would flutter away. (laughs) um, So that was, so I had to find something that was a little bit more, um, yeah, just, just um, in place really, in situ. So I um, went to lists. So I sport myself and bought myself, um, a lovely to-do list pad. <laughs> oh, they're amazing, of, aren't they? They are really are, and uh, and I never thought I'd get excited over things like stationery, <laughs> but I do now, and I like things where I can prioritise it. I've, I've got a not so important, important, um, outstanding box that I can tick, um, and that works for me really well. But it's taken me; it has taken me my whole time of working in this role to mm. work out what works for me. And I still occasionally have to fine tune it. And now they're trying to encourage us to be more on 
online with our organization oh, i find that hard i do too um, um are you somebody like me who if it wasn't on your jobs list but you did it you add it on so you can tick it off most definitely <laughs> so you get most that achievement of everything you've done today <laughs> i know yeah i know it cannot go unmissed no. um um yeah my <laughs> I, my um son actually bought me last year this beautiful diary that i've got um a zip up diary and that was that that has changed my life and that was really obviously he was very um, astute to notice that that would help his mum um and yeah and in that i have all my things that i i need to do and yeah i add on anything that wasn't on my list because I mean, you need to credit yourself for it don't you most, most you don't definitely. get taught this stuff at university either no. no, you don't. <laughs> There's no, so don't. much more to it than just knowing all that it, clinical stuff. It is, it is. And actually this bit helps you with then the other stuff. Um, yeah, it's, um, and it, it's not a one size fits all thing either. It's just mm. you working out what works for you. Um, and I think it fluctuates, didn't, doesn't it? Um, depending on what's going on with life in general, not even just work. But one of your challenges that you sent through was about being able to switch off. And you talk about learning to be kind to yourself. What does that look like <laughs> for you at the moment? Um, if you'd have asked me that a few weeks ago, it wouldn't have looked very pretty at all. Mm. Um, I had huge IT problems. Um, and IT for me is generally a problem. Um, I am of the area where when I was at school, there was about six or seven of my class would sit around a big old BBC computer. <laughs> and so my IT skills are really, really poor. And I've learned, obviously, just through life, you learn what you need to know. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I had IT issues a few weeks ago, and it really impacted on me. It made me crazy because um, I couldn't do anything that I needed to do to do my job. Mm. Um, so my to-do list got bigger and bigger and bigger and actually quite confusing mm. um, and I found it really really stressful and I'm not I'm not a crier I cried three times in a fortnight <laughs> just mm. breaking down like oh my goodness I need to get this done and I can't do it and no and despite um, the IT team trying to help me it was just my laptop was just beyond repair really um, and so then I wasn't I wasn't kind to myself um, mm. and I would not I didn't ease my workload to allow for the fact that I couldn't be as efficient as I needed to be mm. and that and that was when at night time I would go to bed and I, I would fall asleep but I would wake up about midnight and then just start mulling over things and that would stress me out and by the mm. time morning came I'd feel like I'd not had a proper restful night's sleep um, so then I was tired and it was just that horrible cycle so even after after doing this you know for nearly seven years you you still surprise yourself sometimes and think i really should know better than this but i think it's because i've not had we are so much more reliant on it in a different way now yeah. over the last eight months um and it you know all our meetings are now done over the laptop mm. so you really really need it so i just think yeah that was a big learning curve for me and and, and it was only i mean i'm i am a sharer so I share how I feel and, and when I'm struggling. Um, that's very natural for me. And it was just speaking to my colleagues and them saying to me, look, you, you know, you need to take your foot off the gas and allow for the problems that you're having. So, um, but no, I need, I still need reminding that, you know, that I need to do that. So, <laughs> um, but that was a horrible, horrible period for me. In, in fact, probably out of this whole 
horrible situation we've been in the last eight months. That was actually the worst for me, um, mm. just because my IT let me down. <laughs> what have you learned from it, um, taking forwards? What will you do differently so, next time? Yeah, so I, what I will do differently is I will be... Um, I've got to let something slide, mm. um, but with permission. Um, so that is most unfortunate, and this is the thing that I really struggle with. It's, you know, I can't see all the children that I had planned to see that day because actually I just can't physically do that because my IT is not letting me do it, which is crazy. Um, but then what I was doing is obviously I was seeing all the children, but then not able to do anything with the information that I had. And so it's about saying, actually, it's okay not to do that um, because I have, you know, I have a justified reason. Mm. Um, so I've just got to remember to do that. And I have been, um, I don't have IT problems at the moment, but there are other things, you know, that, mm. that keep you busy. And I just, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that I remember it's okay <laughs> to say, I can't actually do that, but mm -hmm. this is what I can do in the meantime. And whilst you're trying to sort that out, um, I will do the rest of my job to the best of my ability, really. Mm. Because I think we're, we're in a caring profession, aren't we, where we obviously have empathy for people and feel that sense of responsibility to help the children that we're working with. But it's that it's that long term goal, isn't it? Actually, we kind of push ourselves so fast that mm. it's it's not sustainable and mm. it doesn't have good long term consequences. But it's so hard to remember that at the time when it's happening and it is it just is. keep pedaling and hope that miraculously something's going to catch up and, yeah. and ultimately it doesn't and you do have to do that readjustment and and think about that realistic pacing but it's so hard to recognize at the time i think yeah no you're exactly right um and i've always been like that and i just and then i think i'm managing it and then yeah something new comes in and just kind of catches me and makes me realize that you know i have to remember i have to I have to learn from the lessons of the past but sometimes you just forget well you um, talk about the past but it's really interesting because one of your successes and kind of best experiences that you talked about it was a similar theme it was about not rushing into getting your first job and waiting for the right one and then not rushing into a specialism and waiting until it found yeah. There's a real dichotomy there, isn't there? There is. There really is. Um, that, that's very much me, though. <laughs> um, that, I think that comes from my previous life experience. Um, and also that I didn't have, I really didn't have the pressure of, I have to have a job, mm. you know, when I leave uni. And, um, and it wasn't, I wasn't part of that. Because there was undoubtedly a little bit of a, I think there's a bit of a race going on. Who mm -hmm. can first to you know to secure a job and that because of my life experience and you know I'd already had a career it really wasn't that important to me so I naturally approached that calmly mm. and in my own time and patiently and it worked um, and as a result something came up you know that was for me um, yeah so I do I yeah I take my advice sometimes, <laughs> but then sometimes I just don't, <laughs> and I don't know why. Complex needs wasn't something that you ever set out to, to get into, and you talk about having some experience of it in the mainstream setting and thinking, oh my goodness, this is for me. What was it that 
had that light bulb moment for you? Um, I think so. There were a few specific individuals who I just, oh, they just made me, I don't know, it, it just lighted something in me. Mm. And oh, it was, it was, I don't know, it's really hard to explain because it's just this thing that happens and you think that's so fascinating. And, and I think maybe because you see, I mean, with all of our children, you see the results. Mm. But I just think the results I saw with these children are just so life changing for them. Um, the ability to actually be able to communicate um, when you're nonverbal, even now, I still find it's fascinating. Um, and I, I mean, I, yeah, it, it, I think it was just those few individuals at first, because it was only a handful at first. I, um, I didn't have many. Um, and just seeing them make the progress that they were making and it was making a difference not not just in school but at, at home as well and when you have parents saying to you wow i never thought my child would be able to do that is just amazing and i think also my colleagues so they're really i think anyone who works in special needs you just really want to share with everyone how wonderful it is and i don't know why but it seems to be, it's, it's not something, we're not overwhelmed with therapists that um, um, wanting to come into it. And I really mm. don't know why, because it is just, just amazing to be part of. Um, and, and just, and, and, and you really, I think the other thing also is that you really become part of the, of the whole of the child. Mm. You're, you're integral to what is, is happening at home. And you get to know the families in a very different way than you would, I think, with my other children um, who are, you know, you're kind of one of the mill speech and language disorders, delays. Um, you just get to know the family in a very different way because you need to. Mm. Um, and there's lots of other professionals usually involved. So you really see the child from all, from all places. Um, yeah, and I love that. I love that um, it's not just, about a communication mm. it's everything else that's really important for them and actually if you can get something else right then actually you know that makes a big difference on their communication because like you say you're you're involved on another level aren't you it's so holistic and so you're so intertwined in every element of their life but you also impact every element of their life as well and i think that's yes. what really comes across because you have some of the most passionate colleagues <laughs> in special schools that you work with and obviously you are as well and um I certainly do it really is changing what if somebody else looked at it from a mainstream perspective the outcomes are not as maybe tangible on paper it's not about getting up to um typical development it's not necessarily getting to that point but the the small changes made have huge levels of impact um, they really that's do. The difference. And you told you were talking in the piece of written kind of submission that you sent me about that young boy as a PEX communicator and how that was your most magnificent clinical achievement. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So he, you know, what what he was doing was nothing unlike many children. So he is um, 
Apex communicator, so picture exchange communication system. And he is very, very communicative um, and has really run with PEX um, and desperate, just desperate to communicate with anyone and everyone. And we'd been working on him asking for help um, because that was something that he he didn't, for whatever reason, he he wasn't asking for help. He was quite adamant that he was going to do things on his own and as a result he would often get quite frustrated um, and that yeah there was one particular day um, he had been asked to take the register back to the office and in the school that I'm in um, they have door handles at, at the top and and at the bottom obviously to stop um, children just being able to run off mm. Because unfortunately that happens um, sometimes so they propped open the doors for him so he could get to the office on his own knock on the door deliver his register and then obviously come back what happened unfortunately is he'd gone into the re um, lobby and the door had closed behind him so he was stuck in this little area <laughs> and there was a viewing window to reception and um um, he was amazing. So he made the sentence, I want help. And then he took it off his textbook and he held it up to the window. He could only just reach. He held it up to the window and knocked on the window, which is amazing for persistence. It really is. And yeah, the ladies report that they just saw this little hand come up with, I want help. And they knew obviously that he needed help. Someone was able to go out and help him, get him back to class just it was just amazing to know that this was a child that did not want to ask for help at all possibly six or seven weeks prior to this and we had been trying to in a very kind way create lots of we were trying to sabotage lots of opportunities <laughs> for him to make him have to ask for help and he just just really wasn't happening but when he needed it on his own without any adult in, intervention he did it when it when it mattered the most and that to me is just that's the best thing about my job because I just think well he did it he did it when he needed to do it yes he wasn't he wasn't playing ball always when I was putting the lid on something really tight <laughs> you know he didn't really care yeah. he was like well that's fine I'll just go play with something else <laughs> whereas yeah this was he had to get out he you know he, he was trapped so um yeah and that yeah so you know our, you know most of my children we work on asking for help but i don't know when i heard that it just made me so happy i think i probably cried actually i think i probably did <laughs> it's like yeah, such problem solving as well that's not even it's just cute. asking for help and yeah, using it's that not, system it's not it's yeah because it because he could have i don't know he could have vocalized or um banged on the window but the fact that he used that communication as well mm. yeah that, that's a lot of skills progressed involved. Since then? oh well he is just done amazingly see he has flew through pecs he uses a real total communication approach he's he's a great signer as well just really mm. unfortunate he's just so non-verbal um and um we introduced core charts to um, the school about a year ago and he was using those beauty anything you give him he, he, mm. he uses 
So um, I referred him to um, our communication aid resource team mm -hmm. uh, for an assessment to see if he was suitable. Well, I knew he was suitable, but to check that they were happy that he was suitable potentially for an iPad or a, mm. a talk pad, we call them. And so he's recently had his, um, his assessment was obviously deferred because of lockdown so he had that a few weeks ago and he was amazing he just flew in it and again myself and 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 his class teacher were there and mum and we were just all a bit a bit emotional because he he was just amazing um he picked it up he was navigating his way through to you know really interested in it um and he just did remarkable so he will be getting a talk pad uh, and it's going to change his life it really is uh, it just offers so much more um, and he's not reliant upon adults necessarily you know having to make sure that he's got the resources in his textbook because pretty much everything is on his talk pad mm. of course there are things not not everything's on there but he will just yeah he, he's gonna fly so he um <clears throat> so he's got his talk pad um and the class have had their training and we are target setting in a few weeks as well everything's just a bit slower now because of covid yeah. um but yeah i'm really excited for him it's Mom's those small really little bits him. of progress isn't it and all of a sudden there's just this door flies open for them where suddenly something clicks yeah. um and they just fly but you have to make those really small sometimes slow incremental little bits of progress along the way don't you to get there you have to you have to yeah. see that it's part of that bigger wider picture yeah you certainly do and i think it's always that with the end in mind always we're always looking at the long term for the children you know for him um i was thinking right what is he going to be doing when he's 18 when he's 28 mm. when he's 38 if he's still non-verbal um and so my goal was always if i can get him to a talk pad that would be fantastic mm. um and it is lots of small steps to get there um but he's got there so he's very he's very excited and it's it's inspirational isn't it that level of resilience and perseverance for that for that child and we need that too I, you told a story about um your your horror preschool experience oh. <laughs> <laughs> how yes. do how, so you can tell us what that was but also i suppose my follow-up question is how does a situation like that that makes you feel quite stressed at the time versus maybe some of the stressful situations that you're in now how do they compare for you so I think first you'll need to tell us the story but how do you perceive that now you're in your dream job yeah <clears throat> so um so the story is um this was this was early on in my career um I was running groups with a colleague so group therapy it was four or five children and parents would attend as well so parent and child and then ran by I, either two therapists or a therapist and a therapy assistant mm. um, and it was the start of a new group so session one of five um, so that's always a bit you just don't know what you know what's going to happen and, and although you've seen the children on a one-to-one -one and you deem them suitable for a group um, you just don't know what's going to happen until you start. And I had, so literally from the get-go, <laughs> we sang our hello song and it was just a nightmare, literally from that moment. <laughs> I had 
two children that just would not take part they would not sit they one was banging on the door wanting to leave um and and you can see parents get re- are obviously getting really stressed because there mm-hmm. were other children who were sat beautifully um and you're trying to assure the parent that don't worry this is really i've seen this so many times mm-hmm. it will be fine um and yeah so i had two children who were just running around um not wanting to take part parents getting stressed and then my other my other children that were sitting beautifully then joined in as well <laughs> so it was absolutely carnage and honestly if anybody had walked in <laughs> I think I would. They would have been like, "What are you doing?" They were, I just, I had lost, and I had, I had lost complete control. Mm. It was a nightmare. Um, and the other therapist I was in with also was very. We, we were, we were just like, "Okay, let's just get through this. We can get through it. We can get through it." We had to cut everything really short. <laughs> and we um, finally got to the end of the session. Um, we were both really hot and bothered. <laughs> and um yeah I've never wanted anything to be over so quickly in my life um but eventually it was over the parents were just lovely and I was saying it'll be fine you know did you believe that when you were saying it'll be fine I was dreading I was dreading the rest of the block really I really was um and um yeah they came back the following week and actually it was much better I think for a lot of them it was just that it was the unknown what is this Mm. room who are these people what am I supposed to be doing but parents then had practiced some of the activists some of the activities with them over the week so they were a little bit more used to that Mm. Um, I would imagine the parents probably would have been when we go back next week it'll either be bribery (laughs) or threats it'll be one or the other (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there were probably lots of bags of sweets or something in the pocket. Um, but um it worked and yeah, I think I think by the end of the block of therapy they were all sitting beautifully and taking part, um, all at their own levels. But mm. um it was it, it it was a horrible start. Um yeah, it it, it was I, I, I remember going home that night and um I think it was only like a Monday or a Tuesday and I was wishing it was a Friday night. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and I, th- and I remember writing my notes and I just thought, I've actually got, my notes really tell a story that didn't look like I had any control at all. <laughs> it was just, child did not participate, child did not participate. Um, but um, yeah, we got through it in the end. But it, yeah, it's, Ooh. It, it happens it, to actually, all of us I, though doesn't it and I think it's the student's it worst fear that that will happen on placement or that's what it's going to be like yeah. but it happens to all of us yeah, sometimes even, definitely more than once yes yeah yeah <laughs> and and what I've also learned now is um that nobody necessarily knows what I'm going to do or say yes. so you can always remember that <laughs> so just because you know what you're supposed to have been doing nobody else necessarily does so it is a bit like being on stage really and as long as you can as long as you can get through it, living. <laughs> yeah, lots of ad living and um and you know I, I don't get me wrong I still have times like that now I have I have sessions with children um that don't go how at all how I planned mm. often with a lot of my children behavior gets in the way as well mm-hmm. um so 
that's that's unavoidable to a point um but i yeah now i'm just i take it so much more in my step and i'm like that's fine we'll just do it another time um whereas i think when i was earlier on in my career it was like i've got to oh yeah i've got to do it now <laughs> if i don't yeah. do it now i won't be able to do it so um yeah i've just got better at it uh, and, and and just more accepting that actually sometimes it just really doesn't go to plan and there's nothing you can do about it you just got to learn from it yeah. and know what 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 you can do next time absolutely Definitely. my first job um as a student when i qualified i obviously went into mainstream pediatrics and one of the questions in my interview was you have a child that won't cooperate and sits under the table what are you going to do and i think to the answers that i gave at the time that they were pretty good answers for a newly qualified therapist but now I would have such a different response and I think you just you learn you have to go through it don't you to be able to put it into context of that child and your situation and, and things like do. that. <laughs> you talked briefly then about how the parents had done things in between sessions and how that likely supported that child to engage a little bit better potentially one of the piece that one of the points that you submitted was about working with parents who are receiving a new diagnosis and yeah. and how difficult that can be presumably it's also in some ways a, a strange privilege to be able to support a family through that and have that good rapport and provide what they need at the time in terms of empathy and information and yeah and things like that is that something that you found quite hard at the start when you started working with this client group yeah it was um i think really early on in my career um so although i was in the um preschool team um so not necessarily specific to complex needs um but we would we would see children for their initial assessment so nobody really knew where this child needed to be so um you you really didn't know who was going to come really and although you took as much information from your referral as sometimes the child just didn't look like what it looked like on 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 the referral and there are times well, from that first initial initial assessment you know that they need to be seeing somebody else um, whether it's a pediatrician for potentially a diagnosis uh, i'm thinking around the autistic spectrum disorder and um early on obviously you're really you're really green at it anyway and yeah. you're trying to you know you're trying to remember everything that you need to remember for your initial assessment uh, and then when you think oh my goodness i've now got to have this conversation um, obviously you're not diagnosing but you're just trying to explain and justify why the child needs this particular referral and how mm -hmm. that's going to benefit them um, that's that's hard in itself obviously the better you get at all the other stuff then you can focus more on that and and the more you do it the better you get um, and obviously you can you can pull on your experiences you know the ones that didn't go so well the ones mm -hmm. that did go well um so that for me a real period of reflection has helped me get better at that but you're right um, i think being part of that is a privilege and knowing that you are able to offer that support to the family when they really need it 
Mm. Um, and and now with with all my additional knowledge, I you know the way I would now deal with that situation compared to six years ago, I know so much more can point them in so many more directions, mm. whereas potentially in the past it, that was reliant upon other professionals where I didn't have that knowledge. Um, I'm just thinking of additional services um, you know, that parents can tap into. Um, but yeah, being, being part of that early journey, um, it really pulls on your counselling skills actually. And obviously we're not counsellors, but naturally I think there's an inevitably a part of our role is that. Yeah. And really, really just being an ear mm. and um and try not to um alarm anybody and because but yeah just trying to also explain that this is it's a really important thing that we need to do um i think i've yeah i'd be better you know i am better at it now <laughs> um obviously now i'm what was really nice when i came to the school that i'm in now i've been here just coming up to two years mm. there was lots of children those children that i saw oh, really? um, and yeah and so they were early on in my time and i um i'd made i'd made referrals on to the pediatrician and they had gone through multidisciplinary assessment and come out with a diagnosis of asd so coming here it was like oh my goodness i saw i saw that child <laughs> and look at what they're doing now and that was really lovely and being back involved with the families and seeing yeah. where they are and they obviously remember me so um and it's not often you get to do that you often don't get to see children for five years on um so that's that has been absolutely beautiful actually um and now i'm able to help them in a different way you know then it was making sure they're going in the right place whereas now i'm making sure you know that um that they're making progress with their communication and um it's lovely it really is well you're not just stopping at communication are you because you're now doing your dysphagia training <laughs> no I am, which which really amazes me because that absolutely terrified me when I was yeah. at university. It, it petrified me. I just thought, oh my goodness, I don't want to be involved with that at all. In terms of um, the, um, if you get um, it wrong, the, the, the level of severity that can have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Whereas with communication, not so much, you know. Um, yeah, it, I am, I have really surprised myself. Um, and so since being my school age complex needs role that's something that i've just explored and mm. I, yeah and just fallen in love with um and and i and we're always learning but now really going back to learning because i've um so i've had to obviously i've been working my way through my competencies mm -hmm. um i attended the um weeks training it's the manchester post basic dysphagia course mm -hmm. um that was meant to happen in lockdown obviously it was cancelled so, so that happened in september mm -hmm. really intense week of um learning um but just fascinating um and i just took so much from it so now as a result i have to um i have to have so many hours 
um, of um, a contact, it's 72 hours in mm -hmm. total. And that can be face-to-face, -face. it can be with supervisor, without supervisor, um, not just necessarily face-to-face -face with um, the patients, but also it can be um, any extra learning as well. Mm. So, um, but it's a lot of hours. Um, so I'm having to keep my log, which um, I'm getting there slowly. Another um, list. <laughs> yeah, another list. Um, actually, I'm getting there quite quickly. I've just... Uh, literally since we've been back I've just been uh, doing as much as I can um, and I have to do a case study and I sit an exam in March and then I'm done I'm free so um, that's really exciting you'll be in a real niche at that point as well won't you because there aren't that many paediatric therapists who are dysphagia qualified either no there's not which really surprised me mm. um, and I just think it's probably because it, it's 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 quite a, it's quite specific interest um and it's a lot of work to put into something if it's not really your thing mm. um so yeah i can see why but it, it did surprise me but i love it and i get to have a stethoscope which I mean, is the most exciting thing ever best motivation in the world seriously when it arrived <laughs> i was like everybody everybody had their um Everyone, yeah, I checked everyone was breathing. <laughs> Everyone's got, everyone in my house has got a heartbeat. Would you please see? Even the dog has got a heartbeat. Um, honestly, I was, like, I was like a child again. I remember having my little nurses set when I was little and I loved it. And this, <laughs> which is crazy because I'm 42 years old and I feel really grown up. Um, Isn't and that and lovely that our, our profession can do that? That actually yes. it's not just run-of-the-mill day-to-day every day is the same there are so many different avenues that we can go down and you can find that intrigue again and yeah it is it is and 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 that's you're exactly right so um Emma, i i love that it you know every day my passion is reignited and this is obviously just something else that i'm adding on and it is just so exciting and um and i really want to learn um so I'm just, yeah, saturating myself with it. Um, my family are like, oh, we thought this all stopped when, <laughs> when you finished university. No, you know, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't no, have to. No, it doesn't. No. So actually, because of lockdown, we've now I've now got an office in the garden as well because um, I need my own space. <laughs> I've decided. Um, so all my dysphagia stuff now is all in there, which is great because it was kind of piled up here, there, and everywhere, and that was a bit confusing. Um, um, but yeah, it is, it is, I, I love it and it is so interesting and it's a bit scary. Mm. Um, I still, that's you know, exciting too sometimes. It really is. It really is. And, and, uh, um, my MDT team that are around me are just amazing and I, they know they're so patient and they know that this is new for me. Mm. Um, so I really rely on them to and their knowledge to help me um and their their insight and is is just awesome so um that really takes the pressure off as well knowing that i've got a team that i can trust i am very excited to, to think <laughs> about all of the other families and children that you're going to be able to help with this it's going it's really exciting it is it is especially because obviously i've been looking after a lot of the children i've been looking after uh, 
from a communication perspective mm. whereas now I'm going to be involved in another perspective as well which is really nice which will be just as life-changing for them it really will mm. it really will um yeah it's very exciting Sarah I could talk to you all day oh. <laughs> <laughs> me too thank you Lovely. so much for sharing all of your experiences and um you're just such a humble and passionate therapist you're, you're everything that a therapist could ever want to be so thank you so much for for coming on the podcast you're very welcome thank you for having me I've really enjoyed it um <laughs> I could talk about being a speech therapist all day every day it's just so could I <laughs> we'll do a day <laughs> of it next time yes. <laughs> thank you for listening to the UEA extra salt podcast you can find the SLT teaching team at UEA on Twitter with our handle at SLT underscore UEA. Or alternatively, if you'd like to contact me directly, you can find me at Emma SLT Ferris. Talk soon. <laughs>